Welcome to another edition of Sunshine State Takes. I am Brandon Carroll alongside Matt McConnell, and boy, do we have a special episode for y'all today. Yeah, man, we're gonna. Um, last time we were on the air, we gave uh, we gave you guys the World Series preview, where we kind of gave you our thoughts on uh, how we expected that series to go. So we're gonna update. We're through games one and two, and they've been some pretty good games. I think this World Series off to a good start. So. We're going to dive into that as well as uh, some college football talk. We're trying to, you know, really make college football main focus of the show. Again, we went a while without it up until uh, pretty recently we started including some talk. And we talked about the Gators. We touched on the Knowles big win over the Tar Heels a little bit on our last show. So uh, we're going to we're going to go around the college football world today as well as talk about the World Series. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. And, you know, as we always do, me and you always try to find the most uh, – I would say efficient yet um, informative way to share our takes and other things yeah. going on in the sports world, which it's a reason why we've kind of changed the format of our show just a little bit. This week's going to be different. Normally we kind of throw in, we'll, we'll do uh, college to start the show and then we'll get into NFL and it normally ends up being a pretty long hour, hour and a half show. Yeah. But from now on, what we're going to try is we're going to split it up and we're going to release it on back-to-back days, 30-minute, 30, 45-minute episodes. We can yeah. get, you know, it's shorter episodes people to listen to, makes it more efficient. You're not as, you don't have to, you know, be there as long, but we're still giving out the content. We're still making it. Uh, we're just going to start trying to do more frequent, um, shorter shows for everyone to be able to listen to. So, yeah, it's pretty uh, exciting we're going we're, we're to see how it goes, but um, we're excited for it. We've been running those hour to, you know, sometimes even two hour long episodes for quite a while. And, you know, while we have so much fun with that, uh, you know, it's 2020 world's changing we're gonna yeah. we're gonna change it up a bit see where it goes so. absolutely it can just be it's just easier to listen to it when it's shorter right so, I, yeah. I definitely agree with that because you know me personally i'm someone who likes to watch the joe rogan podcast um when i say watch i'll pull up clips on youtube like before i go to bed at night at stuff and i never find myself watching the full you know two two and a half hour interviews with the guys he has on there rather there are these 10 20 minute clips on there and, you know, those are just as good. So, um, you know, while both are fun, uh, we're going to try and go with the shorter route. Absolutely. So, so. Let's, let's get started. Yeah. Welcome to Sunshine State Takes, everyone. I'm Matt McConnell with Brandon Carroll, feeling much better this time around. If you listened to the last episode, then you got to hear the deepness that my voice reached. It was probably uh, deeper than than some parts of the ocean that have yet to be discovered. I know that was a, a, a tone of my voice that I had not discovered yet. So you actually texted me and said, man, your voice got really deep. Were you feeling okay? 
I went back and listened to it because I, I listened to about the first 15 minutes where my voice sounded normal. Yeah. And then when you actually pointed it out to me and I reached that part of the episode, it just hit me like a truck. It, you know, it sounded, uh, you know, like you said, it didn't sound like me at all. Yeah. So I'm uh, hopefully I uh, make it through this whole episode good and sounding normal, but I'm feeling better. And I think that, uh, you know, can lead us to our starting segment. What's on your mind today, Brandon? Well, before I get into that, you're, when I heard first heard your voice, I was like, oh my goodness. It was right after the cough. Right yeah. after you had the big cough that you had, to, you know, you had to kind of pause what you were saying. There were a couple. There were yeah. a couple of them. Yeah, but it was the one where you're like, hold on, I have to cough, and you just went, yeah. and that <laughs> really just started the change of your voice from, yeah. you know, the normal Matt into the deep Batman. voice. Yeah, Batman, ba- Batman Matt, Matt. Yeah, Batman. for sure. So, um, yeah, but what's on my mind, you know, uh, I've been doing a lot of school stuff because, as you know, college student, it, it is a uh, – it's a struggle at times. I just took a midterm, you know, it was pretty, it was okay. I got to, you know, see, and it's in that range. I'm just trying to grind it out as we uh, approach that kind of home stretch for the second half of the semester. So, um, as of right now, I'm doing okay. Um, but yeah, I I don't really have anything, um, special on my mind, but just school midterm, not doing as hot as I'd like to still trying to stay motivated and such but uh what about you matt what do you have on your mind yeah uh for me well i already said part of it my voice is sounding better today so that's good although um i'm sure the deep voice did bring for some entertainment hopefully you know you always look for the right spot uh the other thing i got my computer back finally so after about a week of having to you know do school through my mom's computer and whatnot i finally uh you know those guys at unf over there were able to get my computer back on track and shout out to them because they even cleaned it too uh, so it looks like a brand new computer. I'm pretty happy with it, and we're back up and running. So, uh, without further ado, I think we can get into the content today. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, you know, to start us out, what do you have to say about what's been going on in the World Series between the Dodgers and the Rays? I know uh, the Dodgers took Game One, eight to three. Rays tied it up last night. So we're we're already witnessing a pretty solid start to the World Series. And like we said, the sweep that many people were talking about maybe happening is is no longer on the table. Yeah, and I think uh, it was pretty obvious that we weren't going to see a sweep to begin with. If yeah, you're, yeah. If, if you don't have a dog in this fight, then 1-1 is exactly where you want this series to be, and uh, I'm happy that that's exactly where it is. Uh, both games, I thought, were pretty good. You saw a bit more of a one-sided Dodgers win in game one. Uh, Kershaw was lights out we talked about his struggles in the postseason he came out right off the bat hot six innings pitch only two hits given up an earned run off the bat of kevin kiermeyer he went a yard for a solo home run that was the only run kershaw gave up eight strikeouts and he uh lowered his postseason era to 1.50 so kershaw who you know like we said has been known to choke out off to a great start for his team in the world series tyler glass now on the other hand is a guy who uh, you know, we know what he can do. He's a fairly good pitcher. He's been very reliable for the Rays. He just did not have it in game one. He was able to get through, uh, you know, the first nine batters all right. But once he got around that lineup to the second time, you saw Cody Bellinger take him deep. And, uh, you know, his day ended after four and a third, uh, you know, only gave up three hits, but six earned runs, six walks, uh, you know, just not what you want from your guy. And then, uh, you know, so that that was kind of the story of the game. The Dodgers were just able to to uh, you know get some hits off of a dominant race starter, and once again, 
the the Rays kind of struggled on offense. They put up a couple runs late, but the game was kind of already out of reach. Uh, they did have a chance to get some more runs on the board, though, and Victor Gonzalez, who I didn't actually see this play until you mentioned to me last night, made an absolutely phenomenal snag on a liner hit right back to him and uh, turns a double play at second to kind of get out of a jam there, and that pretty much sealed the deal yeah. in game one. And then game two, uh, the Rays held on by a thread. Uh, you you saw um, Blake Snell have a pretty, pretty good game. Once again, he didn't go deep into the game, only four and two-thirds, but uh, nine strikeouts and only two earned runs. So a bit more productive and reliable than um, uh, Glass now in game one. And we talked about some of these Rays batters really struggling throughout the postseason. Well, one of those guys who put that to rest, uh, at least for the time being, Brandon Lau in game two with two home runs that really helped propel the Rays to a victory in that one. Also a guy I want to uh, uh, shout out, uh, Aaron Loop, uh, one of the Rays relief pitchers, has to face Cody Bellinger with a guy on second up 6-4, and he's able to strike him out. Uh, I thought that was the biggest out of the game and probably why the Rays won that game, uh, you know, because in that spot in the clutch is usually where we see a guy like Bellinger really – really pull through and he has just pulled through for the Dodgers for so long. He wasn't able to come up there. Uh, I was, I was much more impressed with the Rays pitching all around in game two than I was in game one. Obviously the Dodgers were the pitching stories in game one. Kershaw was phenomenal. They weren't quite as good last night. Some of their younger guys got hit around a little bit uh, like D Dustin may. I know one and a third, four hits, three earned runs that really helped the Rays build that five, nothing lead where from there they just had to hang on. So um, I, I think I think this series has gone about how we've expected. We've seen a little bit of everything to this point. Good offenses by both teams at, at, at certain points and both pitching by good teams at certain points. That's the formula for it to be a good series, and that's the formula that needs to keep playing out if we want to see this go seven games. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in game one we kind of saw what we were kind of alluding to um, beforehand in that – we just weren't sure if the Rays were going to be able to keep up with the scoring of the Dodgers. I mean, Mookie Betts had a phenomenal night. Um, yep. he, he batted 50 or uh, 500 on the night, had a homer um, in the sixth that really kind of, you know, put the game into where it was like, okay, I don't think the Rays are going to be able to come back from this. Uh, so we're, we're just seeing, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing it play out similar to the way that we said it would, you know, when yep. the, when the Rays pitching is, you know, doing what they need to do to be able to limit this talented and explosive Dodgers batting attack. They're, you know, the Razor last night, they were able to pull, you know, pull through um, after going up 5-0. And even though the Dodgers came back to within uh, striking distance. So um, I, I, I like what I'm seeing so far from both squads, obviously as someone who uh, has never really been that baseball guy, I, I'm, I'm enjoying watching this, this, series because yeah. you know it, it's a I'd say it's rather high scoring it's not boring at all um you know Victor Gonzalez I was uh, that catch I was watching live um that really kind of changed the complexion of the game because he doesn't catch that that there that has a possibility to get out into the field um right. you know they, they have a possibility to have um the Rays do batters or runners on third and first uh and scoring striking distance so um, that that could have really changed what we saw from that game um, with if the Rays were able to get that down. Instead, it went from being one out to being the end of the inning because of what Victor Gonzalez was able to do. So I just think right. we're seeing some you know players that 
I think we're seeing a lot of players step up in ways they haven't before. Like you said, Brandon Lau struggled uh, throughout the season. He had a phenomenal night last year, or last. He had a phenomenal night last um, last night. Last night. So um, you know, it's just it's it's going to be a series that really could go back and forth. And I, I I'm hoping it goes seven games. Um, yeah. And it, it's shaping up to be something like that because. To, for two nights in a row, we've kind of seen one team separate themselves with the others trying to play catch up. Um, right. So, so yeah, one more thing I want to touch on, a big factor that has really led to both of these teams winning their respective games, it's the run support for the starting pitchers. Uh, you know, I alluded to Kershaw's stat line just a few minutes ago that those six innings pitched of only one run ball, by the time Kershaw came out of the game, Dodgers already had those eight runs on the board. And so, you know, right pretty early, uh, the Dodgers opened up scoring in the fourth inning with that Cody Bellinger two-run home run. That made that uh, Kiermaier home run a bit less significant because that run support, Kershaw, was still pitching with the lead. And after that, the Dodgers were able to pile on. And then you go and take a look at game two on the Blake Snell side of things. They got him a run in the first inning where he was able to go, then toss four no-hit innings with the lead. Um actually three because I ended up giving him two more in the top of the fourth and then two more in the top of the fifth. He ended up exiting the game in the fifth inning with a five, two lead. So, um, you know, as a Mets fan, we watch Jacob DeGrom pitch all the time and he goes out and throws these seven, eight, eight inning gems. But, uh, you know, the Mets can only score him one run. That's just never the formula for success. You got to get your starting pitcher, some run support, uh, and both teams did a good job of that in their respective games. So, um, that's going to be something to watch for is who can score early, who can knock the other team's pitcher out first, you know, uh, and what what can these uh, starting pitchers do when they have the lead? Can they control it and put it in the hands of their bullpen? Or are they going to go out and struggle and turn the game into a shootout? That's always the question. And so far it looks like um, it looks like Kershaw is up for the task and Snell is up for the task. It's going to be interesting to see how um, Charlie Morton and uh, Walker Bueller handle these lineups in game three so yeah. i'm excited for it we got an off night tonight, and then friday night world series baseball that's always a good night yeah. in uh pro sports so i'm for looking sure. forward to that for sure definitely so, and, you know so, um but this this battle between pitchers that you've kind of alluded to i think we're going to see another one with charlie morton and walker bueller yeah because they both had success in the postseason i'm pretty sure charlie oh, morton, they've been awesome charlie morton's three and oh in his starts walker Bue- walker bueller is two and one um, so it's going to be, you know, a, another heavyweight bout between the best two teams in baseball yeah. um, trying to decide who takes that crucial game three. Right. So, yeah. And the defenses have been good as well. Yeah. Um, I know Justin Turner had a really, we alluded to that Victor Gonzalez play, obviously. I saw Justin Turner had a really nice throw off his knees in game one in the top of the six, though. So as long as these uh, guys continue to produce and just do what they're good at, we're going to continue to see uh, this series produce so i thought it's been really good so far and like i said i'm really excited uh for game three so absolutely absolutely well um i think it's time to kind of transition from this mlb talk into um a a topic that's been kind of already entertaining but it's about to get more entertaining as we go through the season because this marks the first week of big 10 college football Uh, a, a conference that i know that you thoroughly enjoy watching I love the Big Ten football. I think I'm going to love it even more this year because 
Uh, you know, I feel like really for the first time this college football season, we're going to have some defense. And not, not that there's anything wrong with offense. I've been loving, you know, the KJ Costello's throwing for 600 yards and the Alabama and Ole Misses, you know, playing these high-scoring games. I can't think of the score of that game off the top of my head, but I know there was, you know, they were exchanging blows every other drive. And, uh, you know, Georgia and Alabama played a pretty good game. And we've seen a lot of offense this year, but, you know, we might – you know, I think the Big Ten is going to come and ground college football a bit. I think it's it's I think it's really going to round it out a bit more. We're going to start seeing, you know, some more defense. And we're going to, you know, I, I just feel like the other thing this college football season has missed is the Ohio State Buckeyes. I mean, it just, you know, without having a, a dominant team like them on the field and, you know, having Justin Fields taken away from us for the first two months of this season, this college football season has just felt like it's been lacking something. Uh, you know, we're going to have Justin Fields back. This week, we're going to have Michigan and Minnesota go at it this Saturday night, which should be a good game. Uh, you know, uh, Dylan McCaffrey is now the guy there uh, after the the loss of Shea Patterson and Tanner Morgan's returning with some vengeance after, uh, you know, a fairly good season for Minnesota that they just couldn't put together in the end. So, uh, you know, with the Big Ten comes good matchups, and that's why I'm really excited for the Big Ten to return. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned the – you know, the Golden Gophers of Minnesota, their season last year. And, uh, you know, Minnesota has never been a team to be on top. Um, they've never been able to handle the spotlight. And I think we saw that last year when they started to get good. Um, yeah. They weren't able to handle that uh, situation. But P.J. Fleck is one of the best young coaches in the entire – on the landscape of college football. And row the boat. I, I, row the boat. I think that this dude is going to be able to take this Golden Gophers team to the next level. And we're going to be able to see some – a passionate – just driven football team from Minnesota, which is why I kind of look at this Michigan-Minnesota game as, you know, with only eight games to play this year, every game is going to be crucial. It's already super Every game is going to be crucial. So you're looking at this Michigan-Minnesota, whichever team loses, that could be the end of their season. It's it's week one. So it is going to be huge going into the beginning of this year. Um, The Big Ten already has uh, five teams ranked in the top 25 despite playing no games. That is of Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan, and Minnesota. So we already get a top 25 bout. Uh, Michigan is going to be going up against uh, Illinois, Ohio State with Nebraska. Penn State will be playing against uh, Indiana. So, you know, we're going to see a pretty solid first slate of games from this conference. And the only question I have is, is any team going to even be able to keep up with Ohio State? Or is it all going to be in vain? Because well, Ohio State is going to be ready to go. They're going to be talented. And Justin Fields is going to be playing not just for this Ohio State team, but playing for a possible first, second round or first, second overall draft pick in this year's 2021 draft. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I don't, I don't see anyone beating Ohio State. I think there are two things you have to look at. Uh, just, just when you kind of are anticipating Ohio State, you should look at A heartbreaking loss in the college football playoff last yeah, year for sure that's that's automatically going to be their their motivation to come out and play and also i don't think there's any other football player college football player in this country right now that wants to be on the field more than justin fields does right now yeah i i, th- I think the inspiration or the motivation that justin fields has just to simply be out there playing and doing what he loves is going to propel Ohio State. I mean, you saw him and Trevor Lawrence really be those anchors of that we want to play movement, which really 
probably had what was the biggest impact on this college football season even being played right now. I just don't I just don't see Justin Fields making a big deal about how he wants to play and then him coming out and, you know, not producing or underperforming. I just don't see it. Um, Ohio State, I thought, was better than Clemson last year. I thought they should have beat Clemson. I thought we should have saw that Ohio State LSU national championship. Uh, you know, there were some calls that went Clemson's way in that game. I remember us talking about that game on that podcast. So, yeah, uh, I, I think Ohio State is just full of vengeance, and they're they're going to unleash it upon all their opponents this year. I feel like I do think there are some teams in that conference that might be able to play them well. Obviously, not Michigan. I'm not even going to float with that. I I will say when we do see Ohio State beat the crap out of Michigan, that will probably be one of the most normal things of 2020. <laughs> Um, you know, but I'm interested in this Minnesota team to kind of see how they can bounce back from what was a disappointing end to last year. I know they had a big game against Penn State that I don't think they won. Um, and that, that was a really big game for them. That was a Saturday afternoon ABC game. Penn State was coming into Minnesota and, um, you know, that, that was kind of just the start of the downfall for Minnesota. And so I, once again, they got Tanner Morgan returning. They got some big pieces returning. You say P.J. Fleck, he's a phenomenal coach dating back to what he did in his Western Michigan days, uh, you know, when when they went to the Cotton Bowl. So he he's a guy that we know is a good coach. And uh, that, that 2016 season with Western Michigan is why he's in his position right now because of, uh, you know, ju- just the ability he has to take his teams to the next level. Obviously, it's a bit harder to take Minnesota to that next level than it is to take a group of five teams to that next level. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see how it goes, but Minnesota is a team I'm looking at. Obviously Wisconsin is going to continue to make some noise and, um, you know, Penn state's a team that I want to see play before I really, uh, you know, give my opinion on them. Cause I, I just don't know a whole lot about where they're at right now, but, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to this big 10 season for sure. I think there's going to be some great games, but, uh, I think Ohio state handles business fairly easily. I agree. Um, I do think that there might be a bit of a growing pain in, in, against Nebraska um, just because of the turnover on defense. You know, they lost their leading tackler in Malik Harrison, right. who really anchored, uh, you know, that middle linebacker spot down. Jordan Fuller is now with the Rams. Chase Young obviously went second overall. Jeff Okuda followed at third overall. Yeah. Um, Devon Hamilton is now in ja- Jacksonville. Um, Damon Arnett. Uh, went to the Raiders. So we're looking at a complete new unit, especially in that secondary uh, with only one returning safety, um, if I remember correctly, and Brendan White. So we're we're looking at Ohio State team that while they possess talent, um, whereas the experience is just not there for me. Um, You know, they lost J.K. Dobbins, who um, led that backfield in a rather large capacity, even though Master Teague showed signs of uh, being uh, a guy that can take over that. But, you know, when we saw J.K. Dobbins kind of get banged up in that Clemson game, um, Master Teague wasn't able to carry the workload like J.K. Dobbins was. So um, it it just really... I'm looking at the players that can step up for Ohio State to put them on that next level. You know, um, K.J. Hill has now um, gone to the New York Giants. Benjamin Victor is now a free agent in the NFL. And then Austin Mack, um, or is it Austin Mack that's on the Giants and K.J. Hill? Austin Mack's on the Giants and K.J. Hill is um, on the Chargers. That's right. Um, So, yeah, we're we're just looking at, you know, dudes that were – focal points of kind of this Ohio State run last season not being there anymore and you know their leader in rushing yards tackles and interceptions are all gone now so we're gonna have to see those players step up however 
I still don't believe that there's any team that has a shot to touch Ohio State because they're too talented, they're too deep, and their coaching staff has been one of the best in recruiting and on the field even since Urban Meyer has left the program. Uh, Ryan Day has done a phenomenal job taking over that unit. Um, and so now we get to see Ohio State for the first time this year. And, you know, Justin Fields is going to have to find uh, so, some new guys to kind of pick out. But, you know, they have Sean Wade defensively, who's going to, I think, going to kind of take over as that leader in the secondary. Um, Pete Werner was another guy last year that was solid at the linebacker position. So they have pieces that uh, can step up. They have pieces that can be, um, you know, great as Ohio State um, players normally are. And I think um, where Ohio State season is really defined is going to be week two against Penn State. Because once yeah. they play Penn State, after that, I don't think they play another ranked team until Michigan. And that's to yeah. say Michigan's even ranked at the end of the season. So it, it, it's going to – Ohio State, if they can get past that Penn State game, um, and, you know, I, I don't see any team – being able to touch them, I don't see Penn State even being able to touch them. But that's just always a um, that's just always a battle because it's going to be in Penn State. It's going to be a night game, despite not having the rocking crowd that Penn State is known for. It's still going to be um, a rather interesting kind of ball, kind of battle between the two. And so Ohio State is above and sh- they're uh, sh- always good games. Yeah, yeah, they always play good games. Yeah, so, so Ohio State I'm is just head and shoulders above the above the pack and. It's really up to the others to take them down this season. It's going to be more less of um, who can beat Ohio State rather than can Ohio State beat themselves because I, I just don't see a team being as not just as talented, but because no one's as talented, but as well coached as um, you know any other any other category. Uh, Ohio State is above them in all in all facets of the game. Hello. Sorry, everyone, we had a bit of a technical difficulty there, but we are back and we are going to continue our NCAA football uh, runaround of the college football world. So, Matt, what is another storyline from either this past weekend, the Big Ten, or anything like that that interests you enough to kind of that we can kind of dive into as we continue on through our show? Yeah, well, we touched on it briefly in our World Series preview show, but um, uh, I think I think what went on in Tallahassee this week just needs to be talked about. Um, you know, because Florida State is a team that has just looked awful all year. They lost to Georgia Tech. They got thrown around by Miami, struggled with Jacksonville State, didn't look great against Notre Dame. They took some steps forward offensively with their defense for the most part, still look bad. And then hosting number five, North Carolina, that first half, they just look like an absolutely different team. Uh, they block upon early. Jordan Travis runs it in on the following play. They get a pick six off of Sam Howell. And that defense really just shut down that North Carolina offense the entire first half. And like we said, uh, they played that they played that hold on for dear life game in the second half. Sam Howell uh, started to come alive a bit. He threw a nice deep touchdown to Bo Corrales and was hitting on hitting on a lot more passes. Um, but the other thing that was weird to me is they just North Carolina didn't really throw the ball in the first half. I feel like, I feel like we saw a lot of runs and um, I was just a little confused by the play calling uh, by that North Carolina coaching staff early on, because uh, we saw in the second half when they really went down the field with Sam Howell, they had success. And 
um, you know, when it came down to that last drive where North Carolina needed a score to go ahead, uh, you know, obviously what they had to do was throw the football um, and they started dropping some passes and Florida state was able to hold on. But um, that, that first half, I just feel like with Florida state being on fire and putting up points, the play calling by the North Carolina offense was not a set of play calls that was going to keep them in the game, especially when they were making mistakes on those play calls. Like I said, you saw, a pick six on one of like the few passes that Sam Howell did throw in the first half. You saw a blocked punt and just, you know, all around, not a lot of good ball movement in general. So Florida State was able to hang on to that win and Tallahassee was absolutely rocking this weekend. I thought it was awesome. Another guy that I want to talk about, um, someone that just really, a team that has just impressed me all throughout the course of the season and that uh, impressed me in general this week Um Brandon, how are you feeling about the Brigham Young Cougars? Oh, dude. I w- so they were one of like the first games on this year. They were one of the yeah. kickoff games. I'm pretty sure it was against Navy, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And Navy. they just absolutely the steamrolled Navy. Navy looked like they didn't even belong on the field. And that man, Zach Wilson, looks like a bad man. That's who I wanted to point to. That's who I wanted to point to. He looks uh, there like was a this bad man. man. There's this- there was this one play in the game against Houston. By the way, I think that was a good win for BYU because I don't think Houston's a bad team. They had a, Houston has had a lot of uh, COVID postponements this year. They had a game against Baylor postponed, a game against North Texas. Then they come out and beat Tulane 49-31 and were actually up on BYU for most of this game. So I, I thought Houston was a good team. I thought this was a good win for BYU. And, uh, you know, first play of the game, Zach Wilson goes deep and, uh, you know, throws a dot for a touchdown and then they start to struggle a bit, but there was this one play. I can't remember exactly when it was in the game. It was early in the fourth when they took the lead. Uh, they ran this kind of chiefs offense, Patrick Mahomes style type trick play. I don't know if you saw it. Um, Zach Wilson took the snap and kind of rolled out to his right a little bit and then did this little underhand flip to his guy who ended up taking it into the end zone for the go ahead touchdown. And it was just a really creative play call from BYU that I was impressed with. And it just added to what was a phenomenal performance from Zach Wilson, 25 of 35, 400 yards flat and four touchdowns. That's an NFL type performance. And he's a guy that with this performance through these first four games is kind of not only elevating his Heisman chances, but also maybe his draft stock. Absolutely. He's definitely elevating his draft stock considering at the beginning of the year, no one knew who Zach Wilson was. And now people are throwing him out there as a potential top five quarterback candidate for this draft. So absolutely. He's, uh, you know, risen to that level of prominency that we've seen um, other guys be at. Um, Obviously he's nowhere. I don't believe him. I saw a thing the, the other day where someone placed him at second on the QB draft board. And you want to know who want to know the, what the list was? Yeah, let me hear it. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Kyle Trask, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. I was like, you are crazy. You yeah. are you are crazy because Trey Trey Lance is that North Dakota State kid. Yeah, right? yeah. I've heard about him. I haven't got to see much of him yet, so I'm not gonna talk on him. Um, Justin Fields definitely shouldn't be five. No, uh, I, I think Lawrence and Fields would be Lawrence my top two. And, yeah. Although I am subject to move Justin Fields down if he doesn't play well this year. I don't think it's going to happen, but if he comes out and doesn't play well this year and Zach Wilson continues to play well, I mean, you look at some of these aspects of Zach Wilson's game, he, he looks like he has an NFL ready arm. Yeah. He has an NFL ready build. But the thing with Justin Fields is we're starting to see this NFL quarterback position take a turn where you have these guys like Lamar Jackson and 
Patrick Mahomes and, uh, you know, Russell Wilson, just a lot, you know, these more mobile guys who can, you know, do things with both their legs and feet. So I think it's a bit of a, you know, it's going to be something that is subject to change. And then obviously Kyle Trask, I think is, did you say he was three? Yeah. I think, I think Kyle Trask and as, as where it stands right now, I think it would be Trevor Lawrence fields tied for third between Wilson and Trask. I think both of them have looked phenomenal this year. Uh, I, you know, obviously the Gators lost to, the Aggies, but that was much more of a, a bad product of defense than yeah. it was, you know, Trask not really playing well. I thought Trask has looked great in all three games he's played this year, especially I keep pointing to that throw to Kyle Pitts in that old Miss game right before half, that back shoulder throw yeah. fitted in perfectly. That's an NFL type throw. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think the thing with this quarterback class, you know, it's not, t- it's not quite your 2018 class where you had Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, all these guys, but I think this is a quarterback class that like your big names, you know, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is the biggest quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a fair assessment. You have Justin Fields and I, I think the rest of the class is still kind of proving, you know, what it's all about. And what I mean by that, you know, Zach Wilson's emergence this year, Kyle Trask building off a good year, Trey Lance doing what he's been doing at North Dakota uh, but there are also some guys who, you know, were supposed to be up there that just haven't put it together this year. A guy like Brock Purdy. So, yeah, um, you know, yeah. I, I think I think give us a three or four more weeks towards the end of the season. We'll have a we'll have a much better idea of where this uh, quarterback class is at. Yeah, um, I'm also starting to see Mac Jones's name pop up a bit more um, as a top uh, on, as one of the guys that could possibly be a top five. if He continues. I don't necessarily agree. I don't right I, now. I think he I have never so outside of Tua, I'm I have a tough time saying that Alabama pro- quarterback prospects are going to yeah, be that I don't guy. Like, I just I don't like Alabama quarterbacks, man. I don't I mean, either. You just look at some of the receivers that these Alabama quarterbacks have had to play with. I just feel like every time I see a Mac Jones highlight this year, like yeah, he's tossing sixty yard touchdowns all over the field, but you know, you got these speedsters on the outside that get separation every time. It's not like it's not like he's making really any difficult throws. He's kind of just hitting an open guy in stride down the sideline. I feel like that's been a majority of his highlights, and I feel like that's what we've seen a lot of Alabama quarterbacks do. I mean, I feel like I've seen A.J. McCarron make all the same throws that I've seen Mac Jones make. I feel like I saw Blake Sims make all those throws. I feel like, you know, Tua made all those throws. And who's that guy? Coker. I feel like I saw Coker make all those throws too. You know, it's just hard to tell with these Alabama quarterbacks. They're always they're always going to be in a good situation. So. Yeah, I'm never uh, I'm never going to fault a guy for taking what the defense gives him. Obviously, no, if he has if he no had, if there's Jalen Waddle running down the sideline, he puts it on him. Like that's you know phenomenal no, play, good job. No I just I have a hard time saying that he's going to be a top five candidate. Whether and really, I have a tough time saying he's top seven um, because, because the, the there thing, are some there are some NFL ready quarterbacks in this coming into this year's draft. The thing with Alabama quarterbacks is, you know, unless they were to go to the Kansas City Chiefs, which isn't going to happen because they have their guy for the next 15 years, Alabama quarterbacks are just never going to play with the same level of talent for the rest of their careers that they do when they are playing in Alabama, you know? Yeah. yeah. If, if that makes sense, I feel like. Um, because you look at AJ, or you, I mean, you take a look at Tua last year, throw into jerry judy and uh just all these different guys and uh this year you got guys like uh mechie or if i'm saying his last name right who was just 
absolutely emerged into already a top receiver in college football. Um, you know, and then you look at a guy like AJ McCarron went to the NFL, played for the Cincinnati Bengals and you know, what, what he had with the Bengals going up against much tougher defenses of the NFL, just, I don't really feel like translated well with having an elite squad of receivers at Alabama that can get open all over the field versus college defenses, which can be much more inconsistent. If that makes sense. I feel the same way about Tua. I think, I think Tua is going to be a solid NFL quarterback. He'll probably be uh, the outlier in terms of Alabama quarterbacks, but just he's going to struggle for a little bit because that level of talent that he was accustomed to with Bama isn't going to be the same with the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Plus going up against much tougher defenses. Yeah, I still think Tua is the most talented quarterback prospect we've seen come out of Alabama possibly ever. I'd so agree I don't I, I don't think he was as much of a product as uh, of that talent as a lot of guys were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, really outside of Tua, I think AJ McCarron's been the most successful in in the NFL, which is saying something. You know, he's right. not really saying much. He has not done much at all. So it's it's you know it's kind of up in the air on whether or not Alabama quarterbacks can put it together. In the NFL, obviously, um, it, it it is easier when you're playing with those caliber of players that you know are sent into the NFL every year at wide receiver. Um, like you said, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, um, yeah. it, it just talented, talented ball players out, you know, receiving for them. So, um, yeah. but they always have good running backs too. They yeah. always have bruisers at running back. Yeah, and then on top of that. Uh, you know, they're pretty much probably always going to be playing with the lead because just some of these guys that come in and out of Alabama defensively year in, year out are just phenomenal. And they all turn out to be pretty good in the NFL, too. I know Bill Belichick is a guy who not only likes drafting SEC, but has gone after a lot of Alabama players throughout the course of his career. So absolutely. Um, so yeah. I don't know. It's always I know we I know we uh, kind of went on a bit, but the the point is, you know, we talked about Mac Jones being up there. While Mac Jones has been solid this year, I just, you know, I don't really buy it. Yeah. You know, is he going to, you know, is Alabama going to be good this year? They're, they're going to be what they always do. I just, you know, when it comes to NFL time for Mac Jones, whatever shot he gets. And now Mac Jones is a guy I will gladly root for. You know, he's a Bulls high school kid, yeah. Jacksonville kid, 904, Duval, you know, all <laughs> that stuff. Same with a guy like um, Jeff Sims and, you know any guy from the area joey gatewood or yeah uh, you know all those guys I, you know i really want to see joey get his chance with kentucky um you know i want to see sims continue to develop because right now i think jeff sims has struggled greatly but you also have to look at uh, i don't um, i wouldn't say struggle greatly i mean you can't really base it on him playing clemson because no, he's actually also, looked he's actually looked solid this year and he's led this yeah, uh, uh if you're looking at the UCF or uh, Clemson game, I mean, then I've he watched most of his. I mean, he had a very shaky start against Florida State. He ended up putting it together, um, and then once again UCF. And but the thing with UCF is we've seen we saw Tulsa and um, Memphis take down UCF. So um, you know what does that say about Georgia Tech? What what would we see from Georgia Tech if they went up against those same Memphis and Tulsa teams? You know, yeah. Um, no, but it's, I just it's interesting. I just think you're looking. You know, I I think we're looking into too much of what George. So Georgia Tech, obviously, they beat Florida State, but this is still a team only a year removed from being a predominantly triple option offense. That's what I was gonna say. So we're I looking mean, we're looking at a team that's going through a complete rebuild. They're having to do everything differently, and yep. 
so they're they're throwing in young guys. We have to we cannot forget that Jeff Sims is fresh out of high school. That's what I'm. So he he has room for improvement, but for what he's been able to do, the future looks bright. And so I don't I think saying that he has him trying saying that he hasn't looked great. I I wouldn't say that because there's been flashes of oh this kid's gonna be good. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I'm just I, I was just saying based off what I've seen, there's room for improvement. Yeah, absolutely. But and that's I'm, that I'm, I feel like there's room for improvement with a lot of freshman quarterbacks yeah, in the I, NCAA. But at the same time, I'm aware of all these things, you know. I yeah. was gonna mention that before you did. They got rid of the triple option. Uh he was practically kicked off of Florida State's team once Norvell got there. Um, I'm pretty sure from what I've heard from my fr- from my Florida State friends is I'm pretty sure Jeff Sims was committed there and then yeah. Uh, when Norvell came in, they were pretty much just like, "Hey, uh, we don't need you anymore." Nor- so he- you want you know? Do you know that actual story? I don't know the full story. That's I, just what I, got I think. You. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Story time with Brandon. Everyone, everyone, yeah. you know, crisscross applesauce. So, uh, yeah. Mike Norvell comes into Tallahassee. Jeff Sims is committed. He is, you know, I, I've talked to Jeff Sims before. I did an interview with him in Six Points. Um, the kid was just dead set on going to Florida State like he loved everything about Florida State obviously it was a home state team it was a team that he felt that he could really be the leader of and they hire Mike Norvell Mike Norvell walks into the building and do you want to know what this dude did what did he do he went to Jeff Sims house for a home visit that's what I thought he did and basically told him hey I appreciate you you know wanting to come here but you no longer have an offer on the table yeah and it was the shadiest thing and i was just like that and i think that is going to be a big i think mike norvell is going to eventually regret that um you know they have a rotomaker who eh, eh, you know so it's like i said that's another true freshman who yeah yeah. uh, this sample size i know i watched him play against miami i heard that he got in the jackson state game and looked meh but from what i saw against miami once again Man, but similar to Jeff Sims, room for improvement. Yeah, the I, sample, I, I, I the do sample think... size from Jeff Sims compared to Tate Rotomaker is also a lot bigger. There's, yeah, we already have much more film on Jeff Sims, so yeah. Um, but at the, at the same time, we're looking at um, you know Jeff Sims doing it against a bit better of competition right. than Jacksonville State, right? You know, so it, it's um, and to continue with this Georgia Tech team. Uh, this is a team that if they continue to really ride this wave of youth and begin, you know, continue to do what Jeff Collins is asking them to do, their future is looking bright. A guy be that, good in two to three years. A guy yeah, that yeah. I've followed for almost a year now, Jamire Gibbs, dude is looking phenomenal. He's yeah. a, he he is just putting together some ridiculous stat lines. Um, he's had you know four point nine yards per carry uh, behind a rather shaky Georgia Tech offensive line, two touchdowns, um, and that's only in the run game. Um, receiving wise, he's put together I think uh, either three or four three touchdowns. So uh, their future is looking bright offensively. Um, obviously, after that smacking against Clemson this past weekend, they're gonna have to bounce back against a Boston College team that's at three and two, and then they have yeah. to go and play Notre Dame. So um, it, it's it's going to be a tough road for them to get there. Uh, I think give it a year or two and we see Georgia Tech um, maybe not being uh, on the same level of, uh, of a Clemson, but definitely being a top 25 t- team, in my opinion. I, I certainly agree. So we've had a extensive conversation about some just quarterbacks in general, what they've been up to uh, throughout the season. 
Um, looking ahead to week eight, unless you have anything else to say, are there any, uh, you know, matchups you're looking forward to this week and, and or any teams that disappointed you last week? Um, I know I'm just going to touch on them quick. Notre Dame in that 12-7 victory over Louisville. Ian Book only going 11-19 for 106 yards. Uh, you know, that I, I didn't think Notre Dame looked particularly well in that game. Um, and I thought now – we don't actually know what Florida state's going to do for the rest of the season, but um, Notre Dame was also the first team that Florida state's offense really found success against this year. So um, I thought Notre Dame has been shaky a bit the past two weeks. They got Pittsburgh this weekend on ABC Pittsburgh, you know, they gave Miami a fight this weekend. It was a 39 or 31 to 19 loss. Um, you know, they are three and three, I believe. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it could be a trap game for Notre Dame. Pittsburgh's a team we saw them beat UCF last year. We saw them beat Clemson in 2016 with Nate Peterman. We've known Pittsburgh to play spoiler a little bit. So um, while Notre Dame is a team that I was disappointed in last week, Notre Dame-Pittsburgh is a matchup I'm looking forward to this week. Yeah, obviously we with the, uh, for me with the Big Ten coming back, I'm looking at Ohio State and Nebraska. I'm looking at yeah. uh, Minnesota, Michigan, which you already That's touched be a on. Good game too. Absolutely, to which we've already touched on a little bit. But um, I think the biggest game that I'm looking at is this 12 o'clock kickoff between NC State and North Carolina. Um, both yeah. teams only having one loss in North Carolina, coming off a rather ugly one, uh, might I add. So uh, we're gonna see a North Carolina team really have to put it on the line against an uh, in-state rival um, of sorts uh, against NC State. And uh, the 23rd-ranked Wolfpack could really take advantage of this North Carolina team kind of falling back. Um, and, you know, it's a 15-and-a-half-point spread. Uh, I think there's a good chance NC State not only covers but wins outright against this North Carolina team yeah. because NC State after – NC State We're after – oh, sorry. You go, you go. I was no, going to say, go. after losing to Virginia Tech, they've played some close games, but they've looked pretty solid. And right. I just oh. think – I think if we if it was like a 330 kick or whatever, uh, I think North Carolina could, would be like, okay, we not we got to get back. Um, and I think Mac Brown has a good chance to do that no matter what. But I wouldn't rule out this NC State game being a bit of a trap, even though they're ranked 23rd for North Carolina. Yeah, and I mean, if you – I'm just kind of going to skim through – uh, North Carolina season real quick. 31-6 win over Syracuse to, to kick off the season. They didn't look great. Close win over Boston College. And then they gave up 45 points to Virginia Tech and uh, 31 to Florida State. So their defense has struggled as of late. Um, you know, I think that's the biggest factor because offensively, North Carolina just needs they, – they need to get Sam Howell going. They got to get the ball to, you know, their guys like Bo Corrales and Daz Newsom and Deami Brown. I think they have a fantastic group of wide receivers on that team. Uh, they got to continue to run the ball with Michael Carter and Javante Williams. They've both been solid for them this year. So they, they have the pieces on offense. Um, you know, I feel like they just haven't put it together yet this season. They had that really good game against Virginia Tech. They put up 56 points, but like I said – they gave up 45, so they need to have that game where they put it together on both sides of the ball. I think after that loss last week, I I, I like North Carolina to bounce back this week. I think. Oh uh, yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I'm on college game day right now. Yeah. Uh, they, they always say they all when they pick their games, they're always like, I like Texas Tech. Yeah. I like North Carolina bounce back in the big one. So. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I got I got yeah. North Carolina in a close one, but a bounce back. Game. So. You know, I went all out. I said NC State. I start scrolling. NC State quarterback has broken fibula out four to eight weeks. 
Oh. So there goes that. Um, I do think now if I had to pick, I would say North Carolina bounces back. I think it would be rather close than a lot of people would give it. Um, however, the win outright that I kind of noted, uh, we're going to throw that out the window. I never said that. So. Yeah, and let's see. One more game I want to get your thoughts on. Just scrolling through. Iowa State, uh, we, Oklahoma State. Uh, that's one that caught my eye. Um, you know, certainly still waiting to see it from Brock Purdy this year. That yeah. could be a good one. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's been looking real good so far outside of a, uh, you know, a sluggish win over uh, Tulsa in week one. But I also don't think Tulsa's terrible. Um, they bounced back pretty well. They sloshed Kansas last week and or two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Uh, they yeah. haven't played in a while, actually, because they had their Baylor game postponed. So yeah. Oklahoma State has probably been the bright spot of the Big 12 with you know teams like Texas and Oklahoma already having losses on the board. So yeah. um, you know if, if the Big 12 wants any shot at the playoff, it's going to have to come through Oklahoma State, I think. Yeah, and I, um, I we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I think if uh, if we're looking at a team that can take down Oklahoma State, it's going to be Iowa State. But like you said, it's going to have to be through um, Brock Purdy putting up incredible numbers. He's going to have to be the guy that a lot of people expected him to be coming into the season, rather than um, the kind of reserved and really not that. You know, I, I haven't seen him. I haven't. There's not been one time this year that I'm like. Dang, he's looked good. You know what I mean? Um, right. I, I, we're going to have to see the Brock Purdy of old where, you know, he goes out there and it's like, dang, he kind of looks like an NFL quarterback right now. So, um, And then for Oklahoma State, you're going to have to uh, really anchor down uh, with Chuba Hubbard getting the, you know, toting the rock. Uh, right. uh, and, you know, I think uh, at the end of the day, we're going to see, like, like again, we're going to see a rather close high-scoring game. It is the Big 12. Um, but I think Oklahoma State pulls away late. Um, I apologize to Xavier Hutchinson, who is on Iowa State. He's a Bartram Trail kid, 904. Um, so I think Oklahoma State's offense can just do more than this, this uh, Iowa State offense, and therefore that gets the 16th, sixth-ranked team in the nation another victory to start off the year 4-0. and Yeah, and then lastly, um, we at 9 o'clock, we're going to have number 18 SMU hosting number 11 Cincinnati. That's going to be a good american athletic matchup i think uh smu has just looked phenomenal this year with former texas quarterback shane buchel at the helm uh 13,206 yards 10 touchdowns two picks on the season ulysses bentley with 412 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground and their leading receiver reggie robertson with 474 yards and five touchdowns so smu has been kicking offensively this year um they're gonna run in and they've had um you know they knocked off memphis who was able to beat ucf so um I, I think I think SMU's been good this year, and Cincinnati, on the other hand, De, uh, Desmond Ritter and, and squad's going to be coming in. Uh, and Cincinnati's looked okay this year; they're three and zero. They were able to beat uh, twenty two ranked Army, and they had a good win over uh, USF. So um, that's going to be a fun game in in Dallas on Saturday night. I feel like those American Athletic matchups are all. Is good. They're always fun. They always produce. The American Athletic or Conference, I feel like, is good in its own way. I don't think they're quite ready, um, you know, to to compete with some of those better teams of college football. But I feel like they've always pr- uh, come through pretty well in terms of their matchups being entertaining and uh, you know their their teams doing very well for what it's worth. So I think that should be a good game Saturday night as well. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, you mentioned how Cincinnati for you is ranked 11th and uh, SMU is ranked 18th. I have, according to the AP Top 25, uh, SMU's Did ranked sixth. SMU's ranked 16th, and my uh, Cincinnati is ranked ninth. So we're seeing two teams undefeated going at it, um, like you said, in Dallas. And SMU, I think Shane Bouchelle has really benefited from getting away from that uh, larger spotlight that Texas brings. Okay, no, you're, you're right. So I was look, I'm on CBS Sports. And, and you're I'm looking, looking at? I'm looking through the, the, the slate of games, and that says 18 versus 11. But when I go to the AP poll on the ranking section, it does have gotcha. SMU at 16 gotcha. yeah. and Cincinnati at nine. So gotcha. you're right yeah. yeah, I just wanted, just thought I'd note yeah. it. Um, but yeah, so we're seeing a top 10 ranked team um, playing this weekend uh, in that primetime spot from the AAC. So, uh, But like I was saying, SMU's quarterback, uh, Shane Bouchelle, has really benefited from getting away from that large spotlight that Texas brings. Yeah. by going to SMU and he's excel or excelled from doing that. And at the end of the day, we're going to see uh I think we're going to see SMU who I feel is, you know, still kind of underrated because of the fact that there are only 3 teams right now in the NCAA that are 5 and 0. That's yep. Clemson, BYU, and SMU. So, yep. you know, even though SMU's uh SMU and BYU have not played near as uh the the caliber of teams as you know, Clemson, even though Clemson's hasn't been um, wildly uh, insane outside of Miami, I still think that SMU uh, uh, is going to give up, really give a fight to Cincinnati. And I, I honestly see SMU upsetting Cincinnati this weekend, uh, given the fact that it will be in Dallas. So, um, despite the uh, rankings, I don't, I'm not even going to consider it much of an upset at all. I think SMU's the oh, better team. Yeah. Just, I, yeah. I'm just rankings wise, I, I, you got to call it an upset, but for the, for the most part, I think uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle that ultimately SMU comes out on top. Yeah, we'll see. I think I think we got a lot of good games this week. I think uh, you know with the return of Big Ten, college football is only just getting started. Uh, on top of what's already been a pretty phenomenal and entertaining season, so that's on the college football world. Uh, do we have any anything else? Any other games? Any other? Uh, I, I think that's it. I think we've already uh, kind of went over our allotted time slot that we kind of set out, but it's because we have been trying to play catch up of sorts from college football yeah. because we didn't weren't really able to get that throughout the first few weeks. But we're back. Um, we're gonna start trying to make this a weekly occurrence where we have a really college football dedicated uh, show. And so for the most part, we're looking at teams this weekend that are gonna be battling it out um, in the Big Ten, SEC. Uh, you know, we didn't really talk much about the SEC uh, in general because really. The, the big games in the SEC were last weekend, and Florida's not yep. playing. So, um, it just, you know, Big Ten, Big 12, AAC are, are kind of our focus for this week. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm always excited for Big Ten football. And um, Game 3 of the World Series, Friday night. So, uh, sports are in a good spot right now, man. It's it's uh, It's been good. I know we talked about it recently i i talked about i think it was what uh, what's on your mind just that month of september in general all the sports that we had yeah uh you know it's been more of the same in october and uh you know even though baseball is about to end soon we're still gonna have uh you know college football and nfl on all the time so uh you know it's it's been real good and yeah um, for sure you know i'm i'm looking forward to it so any best thing you saw today or you know anything um, you want to add closing remarks i don't know i don't i don't really uh have any best thing i mean i did 
an interview yesterday with a uh, Florida recruit and Blake Miller. He's a Strongsville, Ohio kid that will be um, – he's part of the 2022 class. He included Florida in his top five. So, you know, I have that. I'm going to be posting hopefully tomorrow. So I guess you could say that's my best thing I saw today. Best yeah. thing I did today, even though I, I technically did it yesterday. So, yeah, I sometimes when I don't have a best thing I saw, I try to scroll uh, through Twitter yeah. while you're talking and see if I can come across something. Um, I am not really seeing anything. Although I think one thing I saw earlier, uh, the Raider, I saw a headline. It said Raiders offensive line on COVID nineteen list. Not yeah. any, you know any just the entire offensive line COVID nineteen list. And while, um, you know, it's kind of just more so like. That's just someone quote tweeted it. And it's like, this is not a joke. 2020 has actually been this wild, you know? Uh, so we usually have just been seeing individual players go on the COVID-19 list. Now we have an entire offensive line unit. So that by no means is that I'm not going to say it's the best thing I saw today. Cause that's certainly not a good thing. More so the craziest thing I saw today. That's that's we'll, we'll put yeah. it. We'll put it in that category. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, I think that uh, marks the end of our college show. Um, as you know, we're going to be transitioning into our NFL to post Friday in just a few moments. Um, so yeah, I, I I think we got some pretty solid, um, notes on, uh, college football and the college football world. We'll continue bringing you that. Sorry for going over. Um, as you know, me and Matt like to talk. Uh, we, uh, that's why we do this. That's, that's exactly why we do this. So it's, it's going to be uh, a fun weekend of football. Um, and like you said, a fun weekend, um, starting off on Friday, um, not only with the MLB, uh, world series, but with Wisconsin, Illinois kicking off that yeah, big 10 schedule. So, so yeah, that'll be good. So I think that's all for, uh, today. Yeah. And you'll hear from us again Friday, yes. tomorrow, tomorrow. All right. All right. Well, thank y'all. And, uh, we'll see, you guys. see you guys soon.